everybody. I'm glad you guys are here. Hey, my name's Clayton. I'm the pastor here um, at Central. It's going to be a good day. I'm excited about the message that God has, has for us because we are wrapping up our sermon series that you just got to uh, see a little, a little bit of the, the intro right there of these strange stories that are in the Bible. We'd love for you to be able to follow along with the message and you take out your phone, your iPad, whatever you have with you and scan uh, that QR code. It'll take you to the notes. Uh, you can fill those in. You can even get the, the, the answers beforehand if you're one of those people. Some of you guys are. And you can do that. And uh, you can save that and uh, be able to have that um, with you um, for, um, for today and the rest of this week. Well, I just want to say thank you to Noah. I don't know where Noah is. Is he here somewhere? Okay, right back there. Hey, thanks, bud, for uh, filling in for the last couple weeks and preaching uh, while I was uh, gone in, in Israel. And we had a great time there. And, yeah, thanks. <laughs> that was from. Um, and... And uh, thank you, Noah, for, for preaching. So here's the question for today, okay? Why these weird stories? I mean, why have we spent five weeks on these strange stories that are in the Bible? I think it's because every single story that you see in the Bible, every single thought, every single truth has a purpose. And it's there on purpose. And it's beneficial for us. And so if that is true, then... All of it is worthy of our attention, even these weird stories from talking donkeys all the way to people putting spikes in other people's heads. I mean, what in the world is going on with that? Why do we have those things? They are bizarre, yet they are beneficial for us. And the trick this morning is finding out God's purpose for each one of these stories. And in a general way, the, the point and the purpose of all these stories is to teach us, isn't it? To teach us something is to correct us when we are when we are off. It's to point us in the right direction, um, and honestly, a lot of times it's to protect us from ourselves and our sinful ways. And stories are powerful. I love that the Bible is full of these stories, and in our own lives, stories are very powerful. I mean, this past week, our church has had to deal with the death of three of our church members. We had three funerals, and it's been a it's been a tough. A week, just to be honest with you. But being at these funerals has been honestly inspiring because we've been able to see these people's stories. The people we love, the story of their life and how their life unfolded and how they gave their life to Jesus and how they trusted in him and how they, they um, impacted so many other people's lives. And that is inspiring, isn't it? I remember, I mean, this week. Uh, yesterday we had Patty Hampton's funeral, and this place was packed out. It was, it was a lot of people in here. Her family took up this entire middle section, okay? And you think about the impact that she's had on people's lives. And it was, it was great to be able to, to hear the stories of what she has done and be inspired within that. So stories are inspirational. And all the stories we've been going through this the last several weeks have been in the Old Testament. But today we're going to finish up in the New Testament. So Luke writes uh, the, the gospel of Luke. It's eyewitness account that he got from other people. So he's interviewing people. He was a doctor. He was a very detailed man. He writes the gospel of Luke. And then right after that, he continues and writes the book of Acts. It's the acts of the apostles, the acts of the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And so it's like book one and book two in the story. So we're going to jump to Acts Chapter 20. So you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Acts chapter 20 as I take a drink. Um, 
So in Acts chapter 20, um, here's how the story kind of begins before we, we jump into it. Paul's traveling around. He's gone through one missionary journey. He's gone through the second missionary journey. And now he jumps into the third missionary journey. And he's towards the end of, honestly, the end of his life. He's kind of at the end of his, of, of his tenure, so to speak. And so he finds himself in this, this Asian minor town called Troas. And Troas has a house church, a small little church of believers. And he decides with a group of guys that we're going to stay here for a week. So they're traveling around. And they, they would stay in different places for a different amount of time. And they said, hey, we're going to stay here for a week. And Luke is with them. So Luke is writing from an eyewitness perspective. And he said, hey, we're going to stay here for a week. And so for a week, they are doing like, it's like revival week, guys. And they're just, they're having Bible studies and eating meals together and doing all this sort of stuff. And they're growing and learning in their faith. And here the story kind of ends up on the last day of his time, his one-week time. In Troas. Here's what it says in verse 7. <coughs> On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. And Paul was preaching to them. And since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Anybody know a preacher that uh, doesn't know when to quit, right? In, in, uh, in seminary, we call it landing the plane, okay? And so a lot of times preachers just cannot land the plane. And so you've been like on a plane and the pilot kind of keeps circling the, the, the airfield, right? Just, won't just, just finish, just, just land the plane. And sometimes preachers do that. Maybe sometimes I do that. And, uh, and we just keep going on and on. He's like, man, you could have stopped right there. You know, we just keep going, keep going, keep going. And so maybe that's what, what Paul was doing. But actually this word preaching in the original language is actually talking more about a dialogue style of speaking. And so he wasn't like a master teacher um, situation where everybody was being quiet and he was up on stage preaching. It was more of this communication, talking back and forth, asking questions. They would ask questions, he would ask questions, and they were talking and discussing. And he was, he was teaching them. But it went on until midnight. It says the upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering, flickering lamps. And as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, so he is going to be the, the main guy in our story for today. Eutychus, he's sitting on the windowsill, and he became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him in his arms and says, don't worry, he's alive. <coughs> then they all went back upstairs, uh, shared in the Lord's Supper, and they ate together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and, they, and then he left. And meanwhile, the young man, he was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. What in the world is that story about? Right? How do you figure out what this story is about? A lot of people would say this story is about how sermons should be shorter. Amen? Okay? Okay. Sermons should be, should be shorter. I've, I've listened to sermons about this topic where people say, hey, Sermons should not be boring, okay? So this is the moral of the story. Don't make sermons boring because people will fall asleep, okay? Or my favorite is that people say this is all about teenagers and they need to pay attention, right? Okay, teenagers need to pay attention and uh, that it's, it's their fault, okay? So it's Eutychus's fault. What's the point of this story? Well, to figure out the point of this story, we got to do a couple things. First is we have to to understand and have two things on our mind. One is cultural context. What is going on 
in this story, in, this, in these people's lives. Second thing we need to understand is the whole Bible and how, it, how this story fits into the whole of Scripture. This is a great um, lesson on, on how to interpret Scripture correctly. So if you are reading Scripture and, or you hear something online or something and, and the, the application that you get or the application that you hear actually contradicts something else in Scripture, you're like, man, that's really strange. That, that's completely opposite of what this part of the Bible says. If that happens, you can know almost for sure that that is the incorrect application, okay? Because the Bible never contradicts itself. And so if you come up with something that other parts of Scripture would say something different, you're like, whoa, I need, I need, to, I need to take a step back. And they say, what is this actually saying? In order to do that, we gotta, we got to read it knowing that there are two audiences. There is us. We are the future readers of this, of this story. But also there is the, the first readers, the very first people who, who read and heard this story. And when we think about the application, what this actually means, it has to make sense to them first. Okay? The application has to make sense to them. And if we come up with an application and or an interpretation of this story and it would, we, we realize it would make sense to them, then we can know that we're probably pretty close to what, to what actually God wants us to know through this story. So the question is, when the early church heard the story, what was their application? And when we figure this out, I think we're going to come up with and see that there's a spiritual warning for us. It's not really about sermons going long or teenagers that need to stay awake. There's a spiritual warning for us. So let's dig in. Throughout Scripture, there are, and Luke's writings in particular, there is this symbolic difference between two things. One is light and one is darkness, okay? Light and darkness. In fact, the Gospels talk about it a lot. Look at John chapter 8. Jesus, he's uh, speaking here and he says this. I am the light of the world, okay? I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. Man, that's, that's a great message right there, talking about the difference between light and, and darkness. And so light and darkness are important in Scripture. And this story for today, when does it occur? It occurs late at night. So let me set the scene for us today, okay? Just imagine... It's late at night, and you're in this upper room. And throughout Scripture, night is often symbolic of bad things happening, of spiritual darkness happening. Think about the last night of Jesus' life. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying all by himself and pleading to the Father to take this cup from him. When he is betrayed, when he is arrested and beaten and falsely accused, He's tortured and thrown into a dungeon. When did that happen? It all happened at night. Throughout Scripture, a lot of times bad things happen at night. However, God is not just God of the day. He's also God of the night. Amen? And so good things also happen at night. Think about the angels who appeared to the shepherds at night saying, hey, the Messiah is being born. This is an incredible turning point in history and it happened at night. I think about Jesus. He prayed for all of his disciples all night long, the Bible says, right before he chose them to follow him. Think about the early church. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is, is in prison, and he is 
he's saved and um, taken out of prison by an angel. Okay, crazy, amazing story. Happens at night. Peter goes um, and escapes, just walking in the middle of the night through like deserted streets. He goes up to one of the house churches and he knocks on the door. And they open the door. They can't believe it's him. They think it's like a, a ghost or something because they had been staying up all night praying for him. So Paul is up late at night in this upper room, in this church in Troas, and it's packed. Just imagine, it's packed out. You've got, you've got some candles burning. Maybe it's a little smoky in there. Maybe you got a little, a little stuffy in there. But time is running out, and Paul, he doesn't want to leave. He's like, I've got so much to say to you. And so Eutychus, he's in this room, and he's getting some fresh air, isn't he? I mean, just naturally, that's where maybe I would want to be. If you're in a place like that, I'd want to be getting some fresh air. So maybe he's getting some fresh air, smoking a cigarette. I don't know what he's doing. He's probably not doing that. Okay, they didn't have cigarettes back there. So he is, he's getting, some, he's getting some, some fresh air. But don't just think about Eutychus as being this young and, and young guy that doesn't care. I mean, if, he is in a privileged position. So there was only so much room, and so only a certain amount of people could be in there. And Eutychus got a ticket to that moment. And he is up there listening to to Paul. And man, he is tired because most of those guys back then, if you were a young man, you'd be outside all day long working in the fields. No rest. He gets off of work. He still has his overalls on and he goes and climbs the outside stairs to that, that upper room on the third floor. He opens it up. Maybe he's a little late to the party. And so he had to find his only place he could find was against the wall next to the windowsill. So I don't want you to fall asleep either, so we're going to turn the lights back on, okay? So turn the lights back on. Um, no one fall um, out of your chair today. So this all happened. This all occurred at night. And the setting, it caused Eutychus to fall asleep, okay? It caused him to fall asleep. And people in biblical times, they had a, an understanding, a specific understanding of sleep. There's three different ways sleep was kind of used in the Bible. One is physical sleep, like actually falling asleep. Think about Jesus. He is on, on the boat, and the waves are crashing everywhere around him. They think they're going to drown, and where, what is he doing? He's sleeping, right? He is physically asleep. This wasn't like spiritual sleep or metaphorical sleep. He's literally like snoozing, okay, um, down at the bottom of the boat. He is, he is asleep. So we see that there's actual sleep. Sleep is also, in the Bible, used to talk about phys, uh, sorry, um, uh, physical death. And so sometimes it says that someone is asleep when it's talking about a, a physical death. But the third time, third way that the Bible talks about sleep is when it talks about it being an irresponsible behavior. Think about the, the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. They are asleep when Jesus needed them the most. And think about Eutychus. He's asleep when something amazing is happening. So Eutychus, he, he literally falls asleep. It caused his physical death. And it teaches us and warns us, warns us about some irresponsible behavior. And that's the story of Eutychus, okay? But what's the point? What's the point of all that? Well, the Gospels and Acts, they have this pattern of people who were all in and all awake, okay? The early church, at times, they were all in and all awake. At times, the disciples were all in and all awake. And then there's times where you had these sleepy failures, so you got people that are all awake, they're all in. I mean, they are bought in completely. And then you have these times where people fall and fail. And Eutychus was one of those guys who, who was a failure. And I believe that this story teaches us a couple of things. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. 
I believe that Eutychus teaches us that spiritual laziness, it'll leave you missing the God moments. <coughs> like I said earlier, these people were all awake. They were all in. They're up for hours talking, discussing. They're spiritually there. They're emotionally there. Their souls were moved by what Paul was preaching and Paul was teaching. And they may have been tired, but they were like willing to stay up. And it didn't matter the hour. God was moving and doing something. There was this, this God moment that was happening. Can you imagine being there and hearing what Paul had to say and speaking and being in that, that moment? And Eutychus is there, but he is, he is spiritually lazy. And he let his guard down. And honestly, you and I can be spiritually lazy too. It's one of the things we do best. <laughs> I think about my dogs who, um, they're super lazy. Right now, I guarantee you, they are in an air-conditioned house, on their bed, in the living room, just asleep. But I know that deep down inside, every dog has like this, in their DNA, this, this nature to be a hunter, you know? to be out in the wild and to catch something and to eat it and, like, just to survive. And their ancestors did that. But the, the only amount of hunting that my dogs do is in the, in the kitchen when we're cooking, they're just, like, locked in and just staring, right, and just drooling, you know, just drooling. And Holly was cooking the other day, and I was um, standing there in the kitchen, and, and I looked at Scout, or, or, or Lab, and he's just do, he's doing that, just puddles of drool on the floor. And I'm trying to get his attention. And then I realized, because he wouldn't listen to me, because... He was, he was hunting, you know. He was, on, he was on the hunt. And that's about the level of the hunting that my, do, my dogs do now. I mean, they're just, why, why, why is that? Because they know that food is always going to come at a certain time, you know. 6.30, that's when the dinner comes. And if it's 6.32 and dinner hasn't arrived, my dogs start running around, okay, because they know what time it is. So this time change thing is going to really throw them off. They're going to be really mad at us uh, this evening, okay. Um, but, but that's, they're lazy, aren't they? They've lost, like, their, their natural ability to be who God created them to be. In the same way for us, we get lazy, too. We take things for granted. I mean, think about in our Christian culture here in our, in our society. Like, the availability of the Bible. We're pretty lazy about that, aren't we? I mean, it's everywhere. We don't even have to carry a physical Bible around anymore. We have it right here. We have it. We, have it, um, we don't have to memorize scripture anymore because we're like, I'm just going to Google that and find where that is, you know. And we can find anything at a, at a touch of a button. It is so readily available. Yet there are people around the world who are, who are literally dying for a copy of God's word. I think about worship music. And have you ever been to a culture that is, is persecuted for their faith and they have an opportunity to worship? Worship is different, guys. It's just different. Here we come to church and songs are being sung and we're like, oh, these lights are kind of nice, you know, just, oh, that's a nice screen and I wonder what key they're playing it. Like, you're, like just, your mind just travels, you're being lazy in, our, in our, your spiritual act of worship. Why? It's because, I think it's because it's so readily available. Like you can get songs at any time, you can, go, you can have them on your phone, you can have them um, on, your, on your radio. These worship songs or just always around us. But man, there are people around the world who are struggling and dying for the things that we have. That we just have that are naturally and readily available. And so I think it's, it's a warning for us, especially as Americans, that we got to be careful not to be spiritually lazy. Because when we do, 
When we're spiritually lazy, we miss some things that God's doing. We miss some God moments because our attention is elsewhere. And at the wrong time, Eutychus, he fell asleep. At a moment when God was doing something amazing, this God moment. And Eutychus, he missed it. He missed it. Here's another thing. Here's another thing that Eutychus teaches us. That being in the room doesn't mean you're present. Not only did Eutychus miss a God moment, but he was in the room, but I don't think he was all there. And that is so true. There's times in our lives where we can be somewhere physically, but not really there. Think about school, right? I mean, think about being in a, in a business meeting. Think about coming home from work and you're tired and your spouse is trying to talk to you and your mind is, is elsewhere. Like, that's, that's why I'm, I'm the worst at that, okay? And I repent of that. I'm sorry, Holly. So, <laughs> um, like, there's times where we are physically somewhere, but we are actually, we're just, we're just not there, right? We're not, we're not there. We're not engaged. And that's what was going on with Eutychus. I believe that he was just physically he was physically there, but he was spiritually and emotionally and relationally, he was, he was not there. He wasn't engaged, he wasn't involved, and he wasn't present. The other day I was um, washing my car, and Corbin and I were out there washing uh, my car, and we bought these, you know, the big giant sponges you can get, just the, the giant ones, and you fill them with, uh, with soapy water, and you're washing your car, and then that's, they work perfectly until you need to clean them out of the soap. It's like the soap will never go away. I mean, like you can, you can soak them in water and squeeze them out and there's soap. You do that a hundred times and there's still soap. I and mean, we, we stand on them on the, the driveway and just try to squeeze out all the soap, but it, it never ends. Like the soap is just like an everlasting amount of soap in, in the sponge. But I wonder how many of us are like a dry sponge spiritually that never soaks up anything. Like we are in this, this sea of spiritual potential and life-changing power. When we come to church, when we hear God's word, when we get to open up our Bible in our quiet time moments, and we're just like dead. Like we're not soaking anything up. That'd be weird if you saw a, a sponge just floating on a sea, right? And it's just dry. Because the sponge naturally wants to soak up things. And here's the deal. That's how God created us is to naturally soak up spiritual things and to be all in and be present, not just physically, but spiritually as well. But Eutychus wasn't. And so here's what happened. He, he fell. And there's a lot of metaphors of him falling. Like he fell out a window and in a way he fell out of fellowship with other believers. He fell, he was in a place that was lit, and he fell out into the darkness. But regardless of all that, he literally fell, not just one story, not two, but he fell three stories down. And they went down to see him, and he was dead. Eutychus's story is not a heroic story. It's a tragedy. And it was a warning for the early church to be present, to be all in, 
to be alert to what God is doing and to not miss, miss it. Look what 1 Peter 5 says. The Bible says, stay alert. And the Bible talks about this a lot. There's a lot of places where it says stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's a, there's a battle going on. It's a spiritual battle that we cannot see and understand. And, and the Bible says you got to be awake. What I love about the first century believers, what I love about the first disciples is that even though they were eyewitnesses to so many incredible things that we would, we would kill for, right? We, if we could just be there in that moment. But they were not immune to spiritual laziness. Even though they were eyewitnesses to what Jesus did. Even though they were eyewitnesses to miraculous events that were happening in the first century church, they were spiritually lazy at times. They were not immune to it. And I love that because it shows us that it's okay for us. We're not immune to it either. And if, if they were not immune to it, man, there's, there's a good chance we're not going to be immune to these, this spiritual slumber either. But, but there is hope. There is hope. So what can we do to fight against this spiritual slumber, spiritual laziness that sometimes we get? So I want to give you just a couple tips to staying awake. Okay? The first thing you can do is lean into the light. Think of this. If Eutychus had been leaning towards the inside, what would have happened if he fell asleep? Just poof, right, right on the floor, right next to all the other believers who could have helped him, supported him, right? But instead, no, he was, he was leaning out. He was leaning away from the light. And the Bible talks about, about how we need to lean into the light. First Thessalonians 5 says, for you are all children of the light. <clears throat> Not only of that, but in other day. We don't belong to darkness and to night. It's not talking about, hey, we, hey Christians, y'all stay inside when it's dark. Okay, it's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, is that spiritually, we need to be attracted to the light more than we're attracted to the dark. In our culture, sometimes the dark is so attractive. It's so enticing. So a good question for us personally is to ask this, where do we find ourselves? Which way do you lean? Are you leaning more into to the light or you lean more towards the dark? Think about the entertainment that you, you bring into your life. Think about your, your online habits. Think about the, the friends that you keep and the places you find yourself. Are those dark places or those places of the light? Man, if you want to be spiritually awake, lean into the light. There's great reward. When, not, not saying that you, you completely shun society. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm say, saying that when you're walking the path, you need to be leaning more towards the things of God. People around you, a church family that loves you and supports you. Eutychus, he had that opportunity, but he leaned out. Here's another way to stay awake. I love this one. Ask God for some spiritual caffeine. Amen? Anybody? Okay? Some spiritual caffeine. I mean, we all need some caffeine, right? How do you get spiritual caffeine? How do you get on fire for God? Well, there's a couple ways to do this. One is through, through prayer. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And I look at that verse and I, and I think that, that prayer results in these things. That when you pray, you get an alert mind and a thankful heart. 
If you want to be alert to the things of God, to be spiritually awake, man, pray. Spend time with God. Man, if you do that, your life will be transformed. So if you feel like you're spiritually dead, if you feel like you're here, but you're just kind of like, eh, going through the motions, what's your, what's your prayer life like? You know? You only pray before meals, and you do that just out of habit? Or do you actually have moments throughout the day where you're serious in your relationship with God, spending time talking to him, sharing with him, pleading to him, going to him? Man, that's how you become alive. Here's another way. Not only should we pray, study, and read God's word, but we should be active in our faith. I love the book of James. This, this will help us to have some spiritual caffeine. James chapter 1 says this. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, gives an example, okay? Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Man, I love that scripture, that passage. Because what it's saying is that, man, if, if you read something in God's word, but don't act on it, you're naturally going to forget it. You're not going to remember it. And your faith will be stunted. Your growth will be stunted. But man, if you want to be spiritually awake, man, pray. Then act out your faith. So these are two spiritual activities that will energize you, okay? So I don't know where you guys are at spiritually. Honestly, I don't. I know where I'm at at spiritually. The reality is at times, a lot of us, we have either, we're either asleep or we've fallen away in some ways. There are people in this room who who maybe have no relationship with, with, with the Lord and so you are spiritually, man, you're spiritually not just asleep, you're spiritually dead, okay? That's what the Bible says. But there are times when believers, they fall asleep and they fall away. But I want us to look at what happens at the end of this story to Eutychus. Because Eutychus fell, but look what happens. <coughs> Finally, he fell sound asleep and he he dropped three stories to his death below. If the story ended there, that's a tragedy, isn't it? It's a tragedy. But look what happens. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him in his arms. Says, don't worry, he's alive. Then they all went back upstairs. They shared the Lord's Supper and ate together. It was like, no big deal. Let's go back up and finish what we're doing. Okay, it's kind of crazy. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. So it didn't end at midnight. I mean, this was just like a marathon of, of preaching. Okay, we're going to do that next week. So, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. So Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. Eutychus teaches us a final thing this morning, that you can have a rescue story. Eutychus had a rescue story. Paul goes and picks this young man up who is dead. Paul, uh, Luke, doctor, he says he was dead, Okay. He could see him. There was no breath in his lungs. This man, this young man, he is dead. And Paul picks him up through the power of Jesus. Not through the power of Paul, through the power of Jesus. This man is is resurrected. You know what Eutychus' name means? His name means fortunate. (laughs) Okay? That's what his name means. 
But how fortunate he was that his story didn't end with him falling and dying. He had a rescue story. And I love that about him. So let's, let's bring it back to us. What about you? What about your life? Do you need a rescue story? Do you need God to do something in your life? Because you're just desperate for things to change. Like you're just stuck in this rut. And you might as, this rut is so deep, you might as well call yourself asleep and dead. Because nothing is changing. Nothing is going the way that you, need, you know you need to go. Are you dead spiritually? Are you asleep to the things of God? Are you so deep in sin that you feel like there's no way out? Man, I love that God has a plan for that. Look what happens in Psalm 91. The Lord says this. This is it, guys. I love this. God says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. And when they call on me, I'm going to answer them. And I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. That's what God does. He's a rescuer. I don't know where you're at. But in my life, there are parts of my life where I feel spiritually dead. And I'm just praying and begging, God, God, rescue me. Save me from my apathy. Save me from my hardened heart and my, my calloused spirit. God, I need you to rescue me. And he says, I promise I'll do that. Man, I, I love um, Christian music. And one of, one, of my, one of the artists I've been listening to lately is, is Zach Williams, okay. And Zach Williams got this like cool, like uh, grungy like, kind of kind of voice. And I was trying to get Rylan to come up there and sing this, but, but uh, he, he just didn't have the, the voice, okay. So he wasn't going to do it. But there's a story, this, this, uh, this song called Rescue Story. And I love the, the, the lyrics in this. I want to read just a little bit um, to you. Here's, here's what he says. Imagine that this is, this is you. Here, here are the lyrics. He says this. There I was empty-handed. Crying out from the pit of my despair. But there you were in the shadows, holding out your, your hand, and you, you, you met me there. He says, and now where would I be without you? Where would I be, Jesus? And the chorus goes like this. It says, you were the voice in the desert. Calling me out in the dead of night. You're fighting my battles for me. You are my rescue story. Lifted me up from the ashes, carried my soul from death to life, bringing me from glory to glory. You, God, are my, my rescue story. And, and let me ask this. Can you say that? Has Jesus ever rescued you from your sins? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're just, you're so dead in your sins, you don't even know where to begin. You've been fighting to try to get yourself out of that, that tomb that you're in. And Jesus says this to you this morning, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't pay for your sins. Only I can do that. He will be your rescue story. What does he ask of you? Just to trust him. To give your life to him. And he will give you the most incredible life here on this earth. And he'll give you a future like you can never imagine in heaven someday. And what a great story that could be of your life. Have you ever done that? For some of us in this room, you have fallen out of church. You're not, you weren't leaning into the light. Whatever circumstance, whatever happens... 
you've kind of just fallen away and you feel alone and separated. Jesus wants to rescue you from that. For some of you in this room, you're here physically, but man, your mind and your spirit is somewhere else. God doesn't want you to stay there. Jesus wants to rescue you from that as well. He has a rescue story for you. I don't know what it is for you personally, but you do. How do you accept that? You run to him. You run to him. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this weird story of Eutychus. And God, I feel like we can take a lot of things from this. Lord, we see that the, the true message of this is a spiritual warning of, of are we being lazy in our faith? For those of us who have faith, are we being lazy? Do we, are there some things we need to repent of and turn and change? I pray, God, for each one of us right now in this room, each one of us online right now, that might be convicted by this story to say, you know what, I'm kind of like Eutychus. I am not leaning into the light. I am here physically, but I'm not here spiritually. I need things to change. God, help us. Rescue us. Help us to pray like never before. Help us to read your word like never before. Help us not only to read and hear your word and to pray about it, but actually to live it out like James says. Help us, God, to be active in our faith. I pray that would give us spiritual energy that would change our lives. Lord, I believe there's people in this room, there's people listening right now who are dead spiritually. And they've been trying to dig themselves out for their whole lives, and it is exhausting. But the hope of the gospel is that Jesus has a hand. And he's reaching out and just asking, asking for them just to grab his hand. And he promises us to pull us out of that pit. I pray if there's anybody in this room, anybody listening right now that's never done that, Lord, that you would convict them of that. They would lay aside all of their vain efforts and they would trust in you as their Lord and Savior. God, you are a rescue story. You rescue us over and over and over again from ourselves, from our laziness. And we thank you for that. And so we thank you for this story. May it convict us and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, they're wrapping it up in the service, but I wanted to let you guys know that we at Central, we're super glad that you were here today. If you need prayer, you can just email us at prayer at cbcawaso.org. And if you're wondering when is a good time to come and be part of the service, come in person, uh, let this be your invitation right now. Uh, we'd love to see your face, or even if you just wanna comment something, we'd love to talk to you. And remember, here at Central, we're a church where Jesus changes everything. See you next week.